0: First Fielder. he's gone to the dog.
1: And it was amazing. Forty-four feet is the record flood uh, stage for the White River. And but interesting enough, uh, you know, we always hope to be in in that mid-20s. This year, it was just over eight feet that's how much drier it is and the last two nights we've hunted a couple areas that uh, we didn't get to hunt for two or three or four years but i came the first year was in 2010 and uh our group there was a little different and nubbin uh who who was in our group there when well, we, at well to
2: start with fred sanders and kenneth Rains was with us then and Frog Hayes was young's whippersnapper. He tagged along. But uh, anyway, because course, Fred and Kenneth is passed on to the happy hunting ground now. So they're not with us. So I guess that makes me the oldest one of the bunch. You're now. the
1: sen- senior
2: member. Yeah, I'm I'm in charge. Does that mean <laughs> we have to do what you say? Uh, Don't do what I say. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do as you say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, um yeah we've had a lot of fun and, and you know i uh, had no concept of what the White River refuge was really and i okay, it's a place in Arkansas, I knew Arkansas was supposed to be a big state for hunting, and I knew about the duck hunting over here, and really, we're not all that far from Stuttgart, which is the the duck hunting capital of uh of the world, I guess, and the place that we're staying here the high plains waterfowl lodge is uh primarily a duck hunting uh, location but we get to slide in here when this white river refuge opens we get to slide in here between the duck seasons i think we're in a split season right now or whatever we are yeah and when does that second season you know i
0: got no earthly idea I, it has to be Probably next week or so because I think we only got one week that we can stay here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of duck season.
1: Yeah, well we we lucked up really. We've had kind of a progression. We stayed originally at Maddox Bay. Were you with us over at the cabin at Maddox Bay, Randy? Which, at Janice's. I was
3: at uh, Janice's. There. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. There was a place there. That I guess you and Kenneth and Fred and all mm-hmm. had stayed there oh, yeah, for, for several years. years. And that that was good. It was a little close, but it had a, a pretty good sized kitchen and a table there. And it was a real com- comfortable hunting camp. But we lost it because uh, the lady passed away. And I think her daughter tried to operate it one year there. And and it, it closed. So it kind of put us out of a place to to stay, and we were able to find a, a, a deer hunt camp. I think is what that was originally planned for the fella that that rented us a, a trailer, a mobile home, and we were there for a couple years, two maybe three. I don't know where we decided, but anyway, it's immaterial. Mm-hmm. But we like it here at this.
2: Uh, oh yeah, it?
1: high plains.
2: Yeah. Look, if you look around, you know this. This is, I guess, you call the living room here. It's yep. big. It's bigger than my house.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> Got a
1: a big uh, fireplace in the center there. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All enclosed, the circular deal all around the walls. A taxidermy. Uh, I'm sure a lot of this stuff probably. Well, I see an elk and a caribou, so that probably didn't come out out of the White River Refuge. And a a bear. And a bear.
2: Yeah, there's a black bear over there. He could have
0: come from here.
2: He could have come from here, yeah. And there's a mountain goat. Right. Well, you know, just a little bit
1: about this place. Here's kind of interesting, a nice family, Brian Womack and his family have four children, and he is a Baptist minister and i think he was pastor at, at uh um, what's a little town back over here toward helena that we come through marvel marvel yeah yeah, marvel. yeah. yeah. but i i think he has since maybe resigned that but, but this is uh kind of like a christian retreat uh if you look around the walls you'll see various references to bible scriptures and and so forth so it's it's a ministry outreach for them but it was an old store and they, they remodeled this thing and man it it is neat. And I'll try to post some photos on the Gone to the Dogs podcast Facebook page so you can kinda of see and get the idea of what we're what we're doing here. Well, the the main thing that we wanted to do is talk about coon hunting. I mean this is a coon hunters podcast and these guys right here that are with me today are definitely coon hunters. And a long-standing. Nubbin, how many years have you coon hunted? Do you have any idea?
2: Since I was about 14 or 15 years old.
1: And you're 39 now, right?
2: Yeah, plus.
0: (laughs) Backwards. You said that backwards. Backwards?
1: Oh, it's 93, is it? (laughs) He's getting up
2: there. I'm 80 years old. I'll be 81 in February. Yeah. And how about you,
1: Morris? How long have you been hunting? Hunting? Oof.
0: Coon hunt. hunting? Forrest, just hunting regular since probably 21 years old, uh, hunting regular. But I started as a teenager going with other people. Yeah. But for as my own dogs, I guess 21. 20, 21. I was 20 21. When you were 21. I'm 77. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, Randy's the youngest one of our group here. How long have you been hunting, Randy?
3: Well, so, I had uh, probably seven, eight years old. I had two two older men started carrying me, and uh been been doing it ever since. Seven or eight years old.
1: How old are you now?
3: Sixty-five. Yeah.
1: See, he's the young
3: buck. Yeah. I got, I
1: got him by ten years. I'm. Teenager. I hit that seventy-five this year. Man, that went fast.
2: It did. When he said that, I I started to say I got kids about that age. <laughs> yeah, My right. son's fifty-seven.
1: Yeah, we're going to start talking about kids now. My mm-hmm. son's forty-three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we like, what kind of dogs we like. Nubbin, what kind of dog do you
2: favor for coon hunt? Uh, I favor a coon dog. A coon dog, yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's, I, listen, I was a. For years, I hunted blue ticks, red dogs, whatever I could have. And then I got into the black dogs, I think in 1980. And I got a pup from Mr. Fred Sanders and then raised him. And I won a little bit with him, so. And then four, five, four years ago, I had to cull a black dog that I raised, and uh, and I was without a dog. So I was guiding casts at our local hunt, and I hunted with this dog. She had tre- made three trees and saw three coons. And then, and then a month or so later, the guy come back to another hunt, and so i told jamie perry and i said i want to guide that cast on look at that dog again well she won that cast and then needless to say i got the guy to price the dog and then i bought her and that's what i'm hunting now it's a tree and walker yeah and she's
1: a insane cane bred
2: her insane her. cane is her daddy and uh the mother i don't know she's just a walker dog i guess <laughs> i don't know anything about her mother, but anyway. I, that's all I got now. Is one I got one Walker female. She's six I, years old. I
1: think as we get older, we tend to gravitate to maybe having less dogs. I know I have. Oh and, yeah.
0: You know there was Yeah.
1: I never did keep a lot of dogs, but about four I had at a time before. Some most of the time two or three.
2: Mm-hmm. I know but, I used to like to keep an older dog young dog and a pup coming on i i used to love to raise puppies and train them Mm -hmm. but you know as i got older this dog i got now i tell people she's not the best dog i ever had not the best coon treer but all around she's the best dog i ever had for all the traits Mm -hmm. you know she'll come when i call her she does not bark in a pen hardly ever if you want to hear or see her, you got to walk up to the dog pen, cause you don't hear. Yeah, and uh, and she'll come when, like I said, she'll come when I call her most of the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but uh,
1: well, Morris, you uh, kind of maybe ahead of your times here. You know, UKC now registers the crossbred dog. Yes, and you were kind of an English man for several years, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I hunted English. Uh... Then I hunted walker dogs, and then some of them got to where they didn't want to hunt with you if you hunted a walker dog. So I just had to crossbreed me <laughs> where I could hunt with the English people and the walker people. Yeah. So right now, I guess my main dog is an X breed, crossbreed, what you want to call it, a walker, red tick, cross, Michigan swamp rooster on the bottom, and tequila sunrise on the top. Yeah. Pup out of deep, deep Louisiana, where it comes from. Skeeter. Skeeter.
1: Coon treer. A treer. <laughs> <laughs> no. she's Skeeter's kind of been, uh, you know, that dog in camp that could be depended on, you know, to produce the good. We had a little, well, I'll get around to me later on. That's not a, not a happy story at this point. Mm-hmm. Randy, what kind of dog do you prefer?
3: Well, I've hunted black dogs for the last 20 years, probably. Um, I, had, I went up to an uh, in arch to Ronald Myers and, and got my first black dog and uh, been hunting them ever since.
1: Yeah, and how long has that been now?
3: Oh, that was in the old mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I got a a dog back then, and I brought two pups, and one of them turned out to be a good one, and and I got rid of the other one. Uh, nice. And that dog was uh, Smith Black Hobie.
1: Well, that that's probably I guess, if you get one good one out of two. That's a pretty good, pretty good average. Good that? odds. You know that brings brings up. Well, I'm I'm hunting this. He just turned three years old. Uh, cruise dog. At, And he's a a tree and walker. Of course, I've never been a walker man. I've been a plot man all my life. Had one other walker in my life. I had a a female that I liked a lot. She was out of Silver Dollar Stone, Mill Creek Molly. And I kept her probably close to 10 years. And when I was getting ready to retire and all, I let a fella in North Carolina. He had a boy up in, um, in Iowa that wanted to hunt her and he did, and he hunted her until she died. And, uh, I wish I could say the one I've got now is as good as that one was, but, but he's not. He's struggling, and I haven't figured him out yet. Uh, he was up with Frank Giddings in Michigan. Frank told me he's, he's got it on both ends. I mean, he's an excellent strike dog. He's got a great mouth, and, and when he trees, you've got to go get him. But he's had struggled with accuracy. And I haven't figured it out whether it's where his nose, it, it, it's cold, but it, his nose and his brain ain't working together or what it is. But I think he's given up maybe uh, when those tracks get a little tough for him. But he's a very tree-minded dog, and I think that's probably working against him in that regard too. But uh, the dog has treed a lot of raccoons. And, uh, you know, he qualified for the PKC World and all that. So, anyway, that's what I got right now is one walker dog. I'm not real happy with him, and uh, there may be some changes <laughs> coming. But uh, I think that brings up when we we talk about uh, the dogs and training that puppy and having one that turned out and one that didn't and all. Uh, I think all of y'all like to start pups. And I know I always did. Nubbin, uh, what you know? What's your uh, kind of regimen that you use when you when you get a a new puppy? Say, we pick up, we go to Automotion, and you pick up a ten week old pup out of a bloodline that you like. What what are you gonna do with that pup?
2: Well, you just have to love him, pet him up, and let him get get to know you and you, a lot of people put a dog in a pen they go up there one time a day and feed it and kick it back out of the door but you got to spend time with a pup
1: morris uh will throw it the ball to you in your court when you get a puppy you got two nice english puppies we stopped by your place sunday and uh and, and a red tick one and a blue tick one, real pretty pups but why how you what you gonna do with them
0: i kind of been copying Nubbin Moore's method there with a string and a pole. When they're little, I play with them with a coon hide. And like he said, you walk them through the woods and let them be the pup. Just let them do their thing. And uh only thing he says different. He, he does mess with them in the pen. I let mine out and let them chase it around. Just I'd rather mess with a puppy. Seem like to me when you get one three years old or finished, it ain't as much fun challenging as the pup is. So I'm about ready to put him up. I you. I had a friend said, he's a coon hunter from years and years back. He said, when they get three years old, you about know what you're going to have when they're three. But between three and four, to me, you can see a polishing stage. And once I get them polished, it ain't as much fun. So I'd rather hunt the pup.
1: So you're saying that you think by the time the dog, between three and four is when you think the dog is probably about what
0: he's going to be. There. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've i watched a bunch of them. Between three and four, if you will notice them, you will see just little bitty things that they do different. But it's to the good. And that's what I call a polishing stage. And when they get four, that's it. Yeah, yeah. They are what they are. Then. They are what they are. What
1: about you, Randy? What do you think about that?
0: Well, Yeah, this is the same deal.
3: I, I uh, start a pup when they little and I, I, I'm retired now, and I can walk them in the woods and I keep them in the woods every day and uh, I usually like carrying them by themselves so they don't, if you got two or three they play bad and anyway, I just go to a coon tail or on a pole, and then I, 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 I like using a dead coon for a drag rather than a hide. And uh, fresh, too. And then I make about three drags, and I'll do that over a period of time. I'll skip two weeks or three weeks in between doing it. And uh, and uh, and then once I get pretty decent at, at that, I'll, I'll go to a cage and turn loose when they get older.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's... Y- you touched on something there get a lot of of messages and and what i call modern mail which comes in either a facebook messenger or it comes in a, a text message or maybe an email from younger hunters or new hunters are coming in and they have a lot of these questions about you know should i show the dog a cage coon if i do how often should i do it uh you know uh Just a lot of questions, because when you're new at the sport, uh, unlike the four of us pretty much have grown up with it, you know, you don't know what you need to do. And I don't think there's any magic formula and all, but we always started pups. Back in the day, somebody in our coon club would have a cage coon, would keep it in a cage, a live coon that had a collar on it. And in the early days, he'd go out and take that, k- that coon out of there, you know, and and try to drag, a, make a, a trail with him and let him climb up a bush there or something, and then, you know, turn the pups loose. Uh, and so that we felt that was maybe a little more natural because it was actually following, you know, uh, the scent of a live raccoon. But that's not convenient to do in most areas. you can't even do that legally anymore. Keep a coon in captivity. Some states, I guess, give you a permit, so we resort to using. But there's been all kinds of things down through the years. you know the The magazines sold those drags and scent sticks like they used in the old field trial days, And, and there was a thing called a training bag that you put a coon in. And hey, you know, there's been a real evolution, you know, down through the years of all that stuff. What what would you say is too much or too little? I mean, what's a happy medium? How many times? All right, let's go around the table. What age would you nubbin? Would you start a pup fooling him with him with a either a drag or a or maybe a cage coon?
2: Hey, I start him at three or four months old. Just play him. with a hide. But, but I don't do it too much. You know, I do it some now and wait a week or two and do it. But when I, if I turn coons, you know, the drags, I do that a, time, a few times, not many. But then I turn a coon or a few coons loose. Trap a coon and turn it loose. But I don't do that but three or four times. And then I just take, when he gets a little older, six months old, then I start taking him to the woods with him and just let him follow along. do what he Do what he wants to do. What about you, Mars? About the same?
0: Kind of like him. Yeah, he's got to be a, like three, four months old. I mess with him with a drag. Uh, I may turn, when he's a four, five, six, five months old, I may turn a live coon loose to him maybe twice. But if he ever trees that turn a loose coon, that's it. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. quit. Right. But just, just when I was him younger, up. just take him could up. get around in the woods more. My dogs never saw. A cage coon, they never saw a drag. I raised him from a pup. We started hunting him when he was six, seven months old and just kept him in the woods. Uh, if you hunted with somebody that had a hound, tie your pup. When you shoot a coon out, tie your pup. You stay with your pup while somebody else shot the coon out and pet your pup when the gun goes off. And you excites your pup when the coon hits the ground sooner or later. But they never saw a cage coons, and I probably had as good a dogs then as I do now. A lot of it is up to you.
3: Right. Randy, what about you? Yeah, I'm probably about like them. I I'll start start using a drag when they're three or four months old, and then uh, I don't do it about three times, and I skip a period of time. And then on a the cage coon, I let them get about oh, seven, eight months old, nine months old, and then I don't do no more than two. Cause I, I I've seen it happen a lot of times. You you get them where they don't want to. If they can't see it or wind it or something, they don't want a tree on it exactly. anyway. Just you can't overdo that. But uh, and then I like to take a pup in the first year. I hunt them pretty much by themselves to the to the the first winter.
1: A spring-bred pup, then you would uh, keep him by himself, not hunt him with another dog or anything till that fall or winter. yeah yeah yeah
3: yeah okay.
1: well i think everybody's got different ideas about that but I, the big thing that the caution part of all of this is don't overdo it i think a young hunter maybe new to tree dogs gets a nice puppy that puppy right away turns onto that cage coon oh boy he's he's trying to get him out of that cage and all and boy, that was fun, you know, and he really bought. It. So let's do that every day. You know, listen, I, I heard Alan Gingrich say that about he and his brother, Alan, at UKC. He said, you know, they got a red bone pup and they, they ran a drag for that puppy every day. I mean, they, they just wore him out, you know. Uh, so that's not what you want to do. I, th- I think I would use the word just trigger that pup's instinct. My philosophy is number one, get a well bred pup that's got the genetics that will absorb and process the training that you're gonna give him if he's not a natural pup you know you could i guess you can make a pup tree tease him enough for something to get him to throw his head up and bark up at it and I think that's what happens a lot of times people just tease' them, you know into into that, but uh uh, I, I, what I always did, and I loved working with pups, but the f- first thing I would do is I'd take a hot dog, and I'd cut it up in little pieces, and I'd take that little puppy, eight weeks old, ten weeks old with me, walk along the, the yard, and, of course, he'd be following me along looking. There. I'd just toss a little piece of that hot dog out in front, and I'd just walk that way. And that puppy, you know, he'd find that hot dog, you know, and I'd toss another one out there. And we'd walk on a little bit later. And then I, I'd take him and maybe set it up on the tail, put a piece of, piece of the, uh, the weenie up on the, hot, uh, the tailgate, you know, and to get him to raising up there, you know. My dad used to set their feed pan up on a post and have them just looking up and barking, just little things, like little puppy things, but not overdo any of that stuff. And then what I would do is I'd take them to the woods in the daytime and walk over logs and l- across little creeks. Do you all do any of that stuff with them, too? Yeah,
0: woods time. Woods time means a lot. That's, that's the most important thing is woods time. They won't learn anything sitting in a pen. Yeah, yeah. you got to hunt that pup. Yeah.
1: We've said this on podcasts before. They talk about which one of them pups you think will make the best one. And the guy said, the one that gets hunted the most, that's the one that will probably make the best one. And uh, I want to talk to you about that a little more, Randy, because I don't think anybody hunts any more than you do. But, uh, well, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of experience here. And uh, I know you guys have had a lot of good dogs down through the years. I want to pick on that just a little bit. Nub, and I, I think I know, and we've talked about it before. Um, the dog that you had that probably had the most success with was
2: a Hank dog. And tell us a little bit about Hank. Well, I, he, I got him from Fred Sanders when, it, in 1980, he was born in 1980 and I raised him. And, uh, anyway, he started off real young, but what like Randy and Morris just said every, on the, of course, I worked every day back then in the day. But on the weekends, if I wasn't working, I'd get that pup out and just walk him in the woods. Like you said, go across the creek, make him swim the creek, you know, when he's four or five months old. And I started fooling with him, and he started treeing, and I started hunting. And you got to hunt a dog. I hunted him regular. Of course, I've never hunted as much as Randy hunts, but I'd hunt several nights a week, you know, especially if I have a young dog trying to train him.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So that was Alabama Black Hank. Alabama Black Hanks.
1: won Autumn Oaks National Grand Night Champion
2: in, in 1980. 84. 84. and then eighty five. I was a high scoring in Black and Tan male. Eighty six, I was a high scoring in Black and Tan male. Then I went to started the Winter Classic in eighty seven, I think. Then I was a high scoring Black and Tan male. Eighty seven and eighty eight. I believe it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the exact year. I was thinking 88, but it might have been 87. I don't don't know. Whatever. It's been a long time ago. What about you, Morris? What's been your favorite dog over the years? Did you have one?
0: that you? I guess what I got now, I kind of like her. I had a little walker female way back. She's crowding Billy bread on the top and Gans finisher bread on the bottom. I bought her when she was 18 months old and pregnant. And I gave her Gave the pups back to the man that I bought her from, bought her from a man at Tunica, Mississippi, that all the old coon hunters know, called Hal Hamrick. Everybody nicknamed him Blondie. She was a really good-looking little walker female that could drink water out of a Coca-Cola bottle and run through a cane break and never hit touch a cane. She was so (laughs) narrow-chested, but she could treat coons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was a beauty now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well there's no ugly dog out there in the dark no nah, <laughs>
0: nah, once you get your light off of them they all look the same
1: well randy you've had some success in uh night hunts and uh i, I remember uh, here well i'm gonna let you tell tell about some of the do you have a favorite dog that you down through the year uh
3: I've, I've had i've been blessed with a bunch of good ones and uh all of them have holes, and and uh, and I've I, uh, probably the Hobie dog was was my favorite of all of them. He just was a natural, and he and didn't have no comeback in him. But but I've had a lot lot of good dogs. Uh, what about Hobie? Well, tell us a little bit about him. And what. Well, he was Myers bred, and out of an old Screaming Bow, and uh, he he just was a a, a, a natural, uh-huh. and and he he didn't have no comeback in him and, he, he, uh, t- tree coons. Yeah. He, he was a good one. Now, you sold him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went to who? I sold him to uh Jay Treadwell and Eddie Muse, and then Jimmy Reese ended up with him. And he had Ace Dog and, uh, and Hobie both there. Right. And right. Hobie did not reproduce. He, he wasn't a good reproducer. Ace was, and, uh. But Hobie could tree coons, that, that's, that's all I'm going to say, yeah.
1: Well, the ace dog you're talking about is a set-em-up ace dog, right? Yeah. Black and tan people out there will know those names for sure. Well, you had a little female that did pretty good at the UKC World. Yeah, she was a
3: little ugly stick female named Pie Alley. Yeah, she was a good one, too. I still got her. Uh, she's nine now, and uh, she's been the only dog I've kept. Uh, over the yeah. years i've sold most everything else when they get uh two to three years old mm-hmm. and and kind of knew what they were going to be and uh and uh like i said I've I've, I've I've had many many good good ones yeah well i think there's uh the old saying is
1: the harder you work the luckier you get and uh you hunt how many nights a week you hunt
3: I'd say five or six. Uh,
1: Just the ones that get dark.
3: Yeah. Well, that. It, it, <laughs> Mars said he hunts eight nights a week. Eight <laughs> week. Eight, uh, eight nights a week. If it's raining, I don't like to hunt, and uh, that's about it. And, and, and then as I got older, I don't sleep well. So uh, <laughs> if I hunt, I sleep a lot better. Okay. So I, that's, that helps too. But anyway, I.
1: Well, there's one thing that I noticed from the very first time I met you and and you came over here to White River and started hunting. You take your coon hunting seriously. Now, I don't know how much you look at it like a job or is it just purely pleasure for you, but you go at it. I mean, you're, you're all about it. You're about getting your dog off the strap giving him every opportunity to get out there and tree a coon and you always bring a coon dog to camp every year that i've been here you have what about what what do you think the secret to all that is or does it
3: did i describe you
1: pretty well well
3: i I, i'm gonna tell you i don't I, i love it i've been doing it since i was a little kid and uh i guess i love it just as much now as i did then and uh yeah Well, it
1: shows, you know, when somebody, this, to the people listening out there, maybe newcomers to the sport, uh, it's not, if you're really going to get involved in coon hunting, it's a commitment, you know, and I think about that commitment in a lot of ways. And I think one of the things that used to bother me the most is if I had a good young dog and it, it was a a good prospect and, and was showing something and that and had a good bloodline and all that, it was like throwing money away or, or, or not even sending my kid to school if I didn't get that dog out there at night. I mean, it was like I was letting time, time was wasting, time was going by, that dog was going to, uh, you know, I was wasting that dog and all its potential and all. And, uh, There's no substitute. Can we agree that there's no substitute for hunting a dog? Correct. Keep keep them in the woods. Keep them in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then there are things, there are conditions to that. I mean, we know we don't want to take a nice young dog and hunt him with trashy dogs particularly at least i don't maybe you guys got a different philosophy to that you know some of you i know we've had many discussions around here about uh you know dogs that ran deer and they made them they were good track dogs and and stuff but what what do you think are the pitfalls that some guys mistakes that they make when they get a nice young dog and it's to take him Take him maybe to the next level. And I'm not saying to the competition level. I'm saying to the level of of play, a pleasure dog like old Skeeter to hunt, you know, that you enjoy hunting year after year after year. What, what are some of the pitfalls that, that guys make, do you think?
0: I don't want to tell you on that you one. I, Like I said, you still got to hunt him. You just got to hunt that dog. You yeah. got to hunt him.
1: Well, I mean, there's you can't give me a list of mistakes.
0: Don't do this. Don't do that. I don't know, but it seems like to me a female cannot take the abuse that a male dog can take. You can correct a male dog a little bit better than you can most females. Mm-hmm. You overcorrect a female. Sometimes you mess them up pretty bad.
3: And, and every dog is a little different. I mean, there's no two alike. You, you got to kind of do what that dog needs and, and recognize that. Some of you can get on others, others you can just talk to and scold yeah. them. And, mm-hmm. uh, some, yeah,
2: some dogs, if you get on them,
0: won't even hunt. Right. They'll, they'll yeah. crawl under the truck. <laughs> learn you, learn your dog is the best thing you do. Learn the temperament yeah. of your dog. I think one of the
1: hardest dogs to train, and y'all might agree, is a timid dog, a shy yes. dog.
0: Yeah i don't i they can't stay with me. I ain't saying they don't make a good dog, but they don't stay with me because I don't like that, so you won't put as much premium time in one like that. I think a lot
2: of people keep some of these pups way too long, you know that's not really doing it. They'll say he's two or three years old, but still trying to train him. but to me, when a dog is a year old, if he's not doing a lot that I like yeah. then he's got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna keep him when he, when he's a year old. Every good dog I've ever raised, when he was 12 months old, I was ready him.
0: or I wouldn't. I'd, I'll agree with what Nubbin you know. says. I mm-hmm. will give him a year.
3: Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same way. I, years I, I, ago,
0: <laughs> before you had the training methods that you got today, probably you didn't have a dog until he got two. You keep a dog two years old, trying to still trying to train him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember, But today's methods that you got. I don't see any use of hunting one two years old that you're not satisfied with. Well,
1: well the old argument always comes up on the message boards and in the, in the social media. You know, are the dogs better today or were they better yesterday? You know, the old dogs, the old saying, the deader the better. That's right. You know, <laughs> but are dogs nowadays overall, do you think we have better Puppies being born than what they were back in the days when we started. I mean, were, was it more of a gamble to take a pup, buy a pup out of a litter back then, and try to make a coon dog out of it than it is now? Do well, you, I
2: think you got to look at the background of a pup, what's behind him. I do think, I do, I think the dogs are better today. I do too. Everybody's yeah. going to disagree, a lot of people. But like you said, the dead are the better. You know, I wouldn't want another dog like that old Hank dog I had because I'm, I'm older, and I don't want one. That, if you turned him loose, you had to go get him off of a tree somewhere. But now the dog I got now, if I don't want to go to the tree, I can call her, and she'll come to me. She don't want to come, but she will. Yeah. I, don't, I don't do that much, but let's say she crosses water, a big creek or a lake or whatever. Well, I, there's no way I can cross it. Well, that that get in a truck and drive 50 miles around there.
0: So I just called her. But on the other hand, the dog you got today, she didn't learn that on her own. Somebody had to have these new training methods or tools they used to make that dog do that, that you didn't have this back in the 60s. That's right. When
2: I I bought her, she was two years old. Right. I've had her four years. When I bought her, she was that way. Either she came naturally or somebody put the juice
0: to her. Right. Okay, so now I don't know that, and I've never talked so, to the guy that raised her. but when you classify a dog today better, are you talking about a tree dog or a track dog? You got to ask a man, had you rather have a track dog or a tree, or you rather to have a tra- tree dog that will mm-hmm. run a track? I don't think personally overall that you got the track dogs today that you had say back in the sixties. I won't never believe it. You got better tree dogs, but you don't have the track power that you had back. In the days of finisher, crowd and billy, that kind of thing.
1: Well, I you know, I have a lot of philosophies about that. If you could talk about the walker dogs. Yeah. Because in the early days, you know, I came along. These night hunts just got geared up in about the time I was born. was when they were starting out, you know, in the 40s and after the war. 47, I believe, is when they maybe had the first ACHA world hunt. I believe, and all, and a lot of those dogs, those especially Walker dogs, weren't far from the 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 foxhound packs of Correct. Kentucky and so forth. And those dogs were running dogs. I mean, and they were track driving dogs, but they weren't necessarily straight. And they would run whatever. And then the tree—if you found one, you know—the tree and kind of had to be, uh, you know coaxed along in a lot of those dogs but then you know you get dogs like johnson's banjo who was attributed to putting a lot of a lot of tree in the end the walker dogs and you know he produced house's chief and he produced the banjo two Dog. a lot of those dogs we talked the other day with Lee Kearns about some of those, those dogs but but i guess what i want to think about here is the puppies that are being produced on the average, I think today, are better. It seems like they start earlier. It, it's really kind of hard to find the, just a the total dud nowadays that won't do anything. And I can remember back in the day, it seemed to me like, that you, you could get that at times. What do you think about that?
0: I think people are using different methods today than they did back in the day yeah, oh, to yeah. start a puppy. They, they, they learn in more how to start a puppy. Uh, just my, my thoughts of it on, like I said, younger days, I was able to keep up with a dog. Don't matter where he went. I'm going to be there with that pup, run a deer, fall off on the coon. I'm still going to be there, but I didn't, I didn't turn coons loose or I didn't use drags. I just took the pup hunting. I did, but that's just my philosophy.
1: Yeah, Yeah. You know, I, uh. I guess, you know, I get a lot of questions that come from these guys uh, from all over the place about this, about how to, st- and most of it is about how to correct problem. You know, I've got a dog, she was treeing really good, now she wants to, you know, she wants to mill around the tree. Or uh you know she's tree by herself and she's doing good another dog comes to her and she wants to leave you know there's a lot of little p- people try to fix everything in a dog to me i always liked the kind of dog that was more natural that i didn't have to be every time out there i was tweaking on that dog i never quite understood that i had hear guys talking and guys that hunted especially when I was in PKC, when I was hunting with a lot of guys that were really hard hunters, competition hunters, but they're saying, well, I'm out there. I got to get out there tonight. I got, I've got some training to do. I got to fix this. I got to fix that. I never had much experience. I'm not the guy that had to fix a lot of things about dogs. Do you believe in naturals? You want a natural or do you want a Form that dog like a blot of clay into what
0: you want. Everybody nowadays wants a natural, they don't fix it. But let me go back and touch on something we touched a while ago. Back in the 70s, you were coon hunting. Yeah. Did you hear very many people brag about a dog five months old treading a coon by itself? No. Do you today? Oh, yeah. That'll tell yeah. you. So you got an easier train today because of the methods. But like I said, in the 70s, I don't re- ever remember having dogs that were five months old that I hunted, even. No, no.
1: That would have been unheard of when I was a young man right. coming up through the sport to have a dog. that You know, I've witnessed this personally, and I've talked to, you know, these dogs uh, at eight months old, going out there four or five hundred yards, striking a tree in a coon, sitting there, tree, do you get to them? And all. That was unheard of when. I started, you know, when I really got into it was in the 60s for me, so that's been 50 years, you know, or more.
0: The first, I guess the first young pup that I bragged on that were tree coons at an early age was out of none other than the hard-time spec dog that Ed Bates promoted. This pup at six months old could tree coons by himself. was not a hunting dog. wouldn't go wide hunting. Because the way I trained him, but he could treat coons if you if he turned a loose on a coon, he would treat it, and that's the way he was yeah. trained. but he wasn't a hunting dog, but he could treat coons at a young age if you walked him over.
1: Well, I think if the puppy is a natural tree dog, born a bred tree yes. dog, it seems like they get real at at first, it's easy for them to treat coons. I guess they're just going looking for a hot coon, you know, and they're very excitable and they'd sit down under it and they bark. But then they kind of go through a adolescent stage a lot of times and they're not as good as they were when you started. Have you ever seen that, Randy?
3: Yeah, and uh, all of them are different, but I, I, I think that back in the 70s you had more track dogs, but you had more pack dogs too. That, oh, yeah. And then now you get. A lot of more natural independent dogs, and and I like it. Yes, you know
1: that's been something that's kind of been interesting to me. Now a lot of these independent dogs are made that way. These dogs that go a mile, mile and a half, get away from everything, quick, get under a hot coon. A lot of that is man man made, but. There is a lot of natural-born independence in our dogs now that wasn't there before, right? And that's what you're saying, I think. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, I sort of like a dog that will get along if he has to, or he'll pack if he has to. You know, a lot of people don't want a dog to pack; they want the dog to get off out trying by itself. But I like one that, you know, if he's if the two or three dogs strike a track, stay with him and trade that cone. Mm-hmm.
1: To me, it's just interesting the evolution, though, that has come about about the dogs because they were all, uh, you know, a a dog, a canine is a pack animal, you know, a coyote, a wolf pack, or whatever in the wild. They're pack, you know. There's a pecking order in the pack and and all that. But now here we've got these dogs, a lot of them that are natural born loners. They just don't want to be around another dog. I had a little pop female like that named Annie. I often said if you took every dog at Autumn Oaks and turned it down the creek, she'd go up a creek. She would not have anything and never was whipped on off of a tree to make her independent or anything. And And she was a real little tree dog and a nice coon dog, and I won with her. But she got to the point where if another dog covered her, she would leave. Her independence got the better of her, you know. What do you think has happened there? Is that it's just in the breed? I mean, obviously, it's in the breeding, but.
0: You You breed that in the dogs. If you think back, you know, your UKC rules were set up for pack animals. Oh, yeah. But as today's standards change, everybody changes what they like in a dog. So they start breeding breeding that in your dogs. So some of it, like you said, is bred in. Some is made man made. It's across the board.
1: Uh, I I realized this probably a year ago. I looked at at the Prohound magazine, and this podcast will probably uh, maybe got a little scoop here. But I heard from a reliable source that the December issue of Prohound magazine will be the last issue. Uh, I guess everything will be online now, and I. I don't know anything about that, but as I looked at Prohan and I looked at the sires of the year, I mean the, the you know, the, or look at the the pup and and what dogs sired those pups the pup leaders, the male leaders, the female leaders, and all, and it's all across the board the sires and the dams of those dogs it's not like house's chief produced everyone or three out of five of these dogs or finley river chief or or johnson's man no it's all over the board i mean yeah you're going to see some of the popular names in there like bone collector or or zeb uh, three or whatever but it's a wide range of dogs that are producing, the dogs that are winning. So that's telling me that the dogs generally, overall, in the whole body of all these coonhounds, are are pretty good. I mean, you know, it doesn't ta- they're not dependent on one single dog. Any thoughts about that?
0: Yeah, just because a dog is a winner, does not mean he's a producer. Correct. And just because a dog is a producer, don't mean he's a winner.
1: Yeah, no, so,
0: absolutely.
1: Uh, I think those are things that that we learn that we passed down, you know, for years, and all of us could cite examples of pretty near worthless dogs that produce some pretty good offspring. You know, really. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about White River and our hunting and how it's been and and that sort of thing. Uh, how nubbin how does our hunts here at the white river not counting the fact that we're older and maybe not counting the fact that we might have had a better dog at one time or whatever like that but just the hunting in general has it changed here at all or is it pretty much like it was when you started
2: i think it's pretty much like it was they've always been a few cones here uh there i don't think there's as many now as they used to be uh like Last night, every time we turned loose, it's four, five, six, seven hundred yards before they ever struck. A time or two we struck one close, but most of the time they had to get on in there. Yeah. But you know, I don't know what it is.
0: Uh, well, we're
2: on
1: the dark, you know, the like a new moon right now. I think. I mean, the the full moon's behind us. We kind of looked out on that. But the tracks have been fairly cold, haven't they, Randy? Yeah, yeah,
3: they've been fairly cold and you know the same old deal and in the hunting here is about like it is at our place uh very similar but sometimes coons just don't move and then or two or three nights in a row I mean, they may not move and then you go in there and treat 10 you know so it it it, it, it varies but uh i think the temperature has got a lot to do with coons moving, too. On yeah. um, hot nights, after it's been cold, they tend not to stir around as much. Yeah, Well,
1: and it is warmer here that, than it has been probably ever <laughs> that I remember. We've been here at times when it was, uh, you know, snow on the ground. When we packed up to leave for the week, I remember the one time over there at the cabin, we were leaving, and they had a PKC pro hunt. At Sweat's camp coming in that weekend, I think our friend Jamie, yeah, Jamie. was going to hunt there. And it was, it was snow on the ground. Oh, yeah. It was cold down here. You know, we're in the deep south, man. That ain't supposed to happen down here. But, mm-hmm. You know, to me, there's just such an aura about this place. Do you, do you all? I'm, okay, why why do we come to the White River?
2: Well, I come, you know, at, at home. Of course, I live in Alabama. You know, you got cut over, and you got thick woods. Over here, you got big timber. I mean, big timber, and it's you can walk. this the walking is easier in most places. I mean, there's some thick stuff in places, but the woods are just big and pretty, and they got a bunch of them. And I just enjoy that more than more than anything. And I enjoy getting with guys that, you know, at home I hunt with the same couple of three guys all the time. Yeah, I don't competition hunt anymore. That's past me. I can't keep up with them young guys, and I, one reason I quit years ago. I'd get so mad, and I shouldn't have done that. Let's just say I'm hunt. I'm forty-five years old, and I want to go. I want to turn loose now, and I want to make every minute count in a hunt. All right, now, I I draw this guy that's seventy years old. He can't keep up, and I'd think, man, if if you could bring yourself on. We'd tree another coon. And then when I got when I got older, I thought about that and I said, I'm quitting. When I would have to make them wait on me to catch up, I said, I'm not gonna do this anymore. So I quit competition hunting because I remember how I was and I wasn't gonna hold them young guys up. Yeah. So I I quit competition hunting. And that's just the way I felt about it. When I was competition hunting years ago, I wanted to make every minute count. If I was two minutes left in the hunt, I wanted to turn loose and everybody else wanted to go to the truck because I've won a lot of hunts in the last minute. But, you know, but you got to, you got to hurry to the tree. You got to save that time.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the physical aspects of competition hunting did it for me. I mean, I just finally realized that I, you know, and especially the way that hunts are today, where the dogs are split up a lot, and you know, you it and this talk about and you know, going to every tree uh, and all. Uh, you know, you've got one tree three quarters of a mile in here, and you got another one tree three quarters of a mile the other direction, and you know, and all that walking, all it's just physically not possible. And I mean, you can do it, I can do it, I can cover all that ground. But like you say, I'm not going to cover it at the rate of speed that those guys, those younger hunters, are going to want to go in order, you know, to get there. Do you, did you ever do much competition
0: hunting, Mark? Not a whole lot. No. I did a little bit, but I was just, I don't know, wasn't a competition hunter. It's just whatever floats your boat. Yeah, for just, sure. Well,
2: you know, that's just like playing sport. all of us. They've got a little competitive stuff about we want we want to win, we want to hit a home run, we want to run a touchdown. You know, it's, it's same thing. And and coon hunting, if you're gonna go out there, why would you want to go if you don't want to win? Correct. Stay stay yourself at home. No, you it's know. a game. It it's a game we play with dogs. You know what I? One thing I used to do, and I've not heard this mentioned, when I was training the dog, if it come a rain come a storm's coming up i may not be planning on going hunting that night but if i the front was coming in and gonna rain i'd get my stuff and go hunting because i wanted that dog to know that it had to hunt in the rain sleet thunder storm because you go to a hunt you go to ohio to a big hunt and it's raining what you going to do you got to hunt in the rain
1: Randy, you still like that competition hunting, I think.
3: Don't you? Yeah, yeah, I still do a little bit of it, and I do it. Uh, I like to win too, just like everybody, and and I like to see other dogs. In a lot of hunts, you get a chance to draw and see other other folks' dogs and what what you got, and uh, just kind of compare everything the to well, them. Well, that's how you got the dogs you got right now,
2: about that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Tell tell me about that.
3: Well, that, that I, I drew drew. Uh, the text dog back in two or three years ago at black and tan days and he put a smoking on me he he treed three singles deep and i i liked him and i told him that uh if he ever bred a good jip I, I remember me i wanted a pup i give him my number and then out of the blue one day I, he, he ed Hilbrand called me and told me uh he had a, a pair of pups there and he was gonna keep the female and he had a male, if I wanted, it, they was about seven months old, and uh, I told him I was on my way, and that's where my mule dog come from that I got now, and he's that black. He Texas a Black River bred dog out of some of Chad McCorn stuff that that most folks know, especially black dog folks. But anyway, that I uh, I got lucky, and he turned out to be a good one. Yeah, I think that's always been the. Uh, part of the draw
1: of competition hunting it's going you know especially back in the day when the hunts were large and the clubs were active and people went to the coon club and pretty much stayed all day on saturday you know they stayed for the uh, bench show and the tree and contest and the water race and the field trial Some some places and and just the sitting around in the clubhouse and drinking coffee and talking. And that's always been a lot of what the coon hunting is like. But that's kind of changed, hasn't it? I mean, uh, do you find in your area down here in the south, you still get that kind of club atmosphere? Is it mostly just get in no. there and enter your dog? No, they then? just
0: get in and enter your dog. Uh, I, it's all, you know, some of the hunts you go to, some of your hunters, it's a competition don't show up maybe till an hour before at least, or before ten, the hunt starts. Or ten
2: minutes to the ten deadline. minutes. Or
0: but call uh, on the phone said, "I'm on the way now. Right. I'm, I'm hurrying." <laughs> but your water races declined. There's your tree and contest and all that's declined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure Nubbin Moore lived in Memphis, Tennessee, when they had the Coon Club. There on Goodman Tri- Road, Tri-State and coon it's honor. it's a pond there that they had the water races. And if you drive by there now, you'd swear there ain't never been a coon club here no. because it's downtown. Mm-hmm. It's uh
1: yeah, you, you won't even
0: recognize it. And I go by there a lot, but I remember that ground looks like when you drive there to a coon hunt. If you went at noon, it would be like a fair. So many oh, cars yeah. and people there. All of it's yeah. gone.
2: Yeah, that but, was that was a good club years ago,
1: and there were clubs. You know that in my job, I was fortunate to travel a lot, and go to a lot of those clubs, and see an awful lot of gun clubs. Right, and especially across the Upper Midwest, Michigan, for instance, and in Ohio, and different places, they had mm. some nice facilities, and they were permanent facilities. I mean, you know, they have a water race pond. Some of them there at Marcellus, Michigan, they. Put in a cement, as Uncle, as uh, Jed Clampett would say, a cement pond. You know, to, just for the dogs to swim in. I mean, they built. You know, it wasn't just a a, a pond there. It was it was concrete. You know, they were in a swimming pool uh, with a chain link fence all around it, and big shady, you know, uh, camping areas and all. Uh, so times definitely changed where coon hunting used to be more of a, uh, a, a family event. The kids were all there. The wives were there. They did the cooking and, and all that. But we've, we've, you know, talked about that in the past, but the sport is evolving. Everything changes. I think that's the hardest thing for me. A lot of my ideals, my, my thoughts on life and all. And I see people, younger people don't think like I do anymore. And, you know, it's not an indictment on them, really, as long as as I feel like that they they have a purpose and they have standards and and so forth involved. But the, it's always going to change, and this sport is going to be the same way, don't you think?
0: If you, I think, if you still want to see one of the old style coon hunts, you need to make it to the Saint Jude Coon mm-hmm. Hunt that they held every year at Parsons, Tennessee. Correct. There are still people sitting around the levees like they used to to watch the water races oh, and yeah. the trian contest. And to me, that's probably one of the older events yeah. that's left. I Saint was
1: Jude. so fortunate when uh, it had gone through some changes and it had gone, I guess, to UKC. Well, it was a UKC hunt, and when I went with the AKC, I went down and I talked to the people to Saint Jude, and I said, "We want to put." something into this, you know, because it's such a good cause. And I've been to the Saint Jude Hospital twice and that'll change your life. If you don't if you don't walk out of the doors of Saint Jude Hospital, a changed person, you are a rock. You you are a a, a, a brick. <laughs> because it will melt your heart, you know, do you see those kids and what they do there and all. so that was yeah you're right Morris it, it's still got that old flavor that old to old it, atmosphere. you know and and there's a little of that too with the Grand American your Grand American is one of the biggest hunts in the country as far as spectator crowds always has been uh you know and and Autumn Oaks to a degree also uh Autumn Oaks you know with the COVID year and then this last year Kind of coming back, you see it. Kind of, I look probably for the twenty-two to be a to be a good year. How long have we been going, guys? Anybody got any idea? Uh, a
0: an hour and four minutes.
1: An hour and four minutes. Uh, who's counting? Right, right. Can can any of you guys remember a favorite hunt that you've had over here at the White White River, or anything that happened that you thought was humorous?
2: Well, not here, Miss, but I remember the first time I came over here in 1969, Ed Beard invited me. He asked me, he said, do you have any vacation left? And I said, yeah, I've got a couple of weeks. And he said, well, schedule around Thanksgiving. So I did. We came over here and hunted around Kansas Lake. We drove a truck down, got out and hunted. By 9 o'clock, we'd kill 10 coons. And I thought, Lord, I've gone to coon hunting heaven. <laughs> so he said, "Well, I'm ready to go to the cabin." And me being thirty years old, I said, "Man, I'm ready to start hunting. Let's go." And he said, "No, yeah. we're through." So yeah. we go back to Sweat's camp. He gets in, goes in there, and and I, and I said, "Hey, where can I go hunting?" You know. So he told me just go up the up the bay. So I turned my dog loose. And she went up there, and struck a track, and swam across the bay and trained. My hunt was over then. I, <laughs> I couldn't get across there, so I went back to the cabin. Yeah. But that was, I loved that hunt. We, you know, we <laughs> just had 10 coons. And in Alabama, if
0: you caught one or two coons by 10 o'clock, you was doing good. Sure. All of them over here are my favorite. Mm-hmm. I just, I like coming to go to a place different. And I like just the camaraderie of people here, meeting people and visiting and, He's yeah. coming over here.
2: Well, one thing I liked about last night was Steve driving of your side beside,
0: And I heard <laughs> through the grapevine that he ran that off in a hole and He got did. Stuck.
2: I mean, but now listen. No, wait a minute. In I his, didn't
0: get stuck. Did in I?
2: his defense. Wait a minute. In his defense, the leaves had covered all that mud and water. Oh yeah, I did so get he stuck was, a he little was gonna, bit. That was a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he got stuck. He pulled across, and what happened when the front end went down? He just gave it to gas. <laughs> now the back end is down. <laughs> well, you know
1: that's what a four wheel drive for. Yeah, but just he, to get you stuck in places you can't get stuck with. So you saying that's drive. okay.
0: Yeah. So that means it's okay what I did last <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, just just <laughs> I give did it the, the gas. Exact same thing. Yeah, well there was somebody else over
1: here that was stuck last night too. He I saw him had that yeah, he had that winch going, didn't you, Randy?
2: Yeah. yeah, Randy had to get behind Steve and me in that forward and that side beside and pull us back some.
1: Thought, <laughs> well, you know, it, it that's the thing. It's a lot drier here and you can kinda get around, but that ground and anywhere there's a low place, it's still oh, really okay. soft. The ground the ground is rotten. It it is for sure. But uh that's the thing that attracted me to White River. I think it's just all this enormity of places that you can go hunting. I hunt in Florida when I go, and it's just a jungle. You know, you're hacking through pal- Palmetto thickets and and all this stuff. And down here, it, it's just to me, it's almost like a religious experience. Cause when I walk to a dog off through the woods, what we walked the other um, uh, Sunday night, Morris, we had. Two trees that were better than five hundred yards yeah. into the tree, and we did that a couple of times. And you're just walking along, mm-hmm. and it's all this open woods, like a stroll and, in the park. And and these trees, you know, the dogs go. They're gonna pick the big trees that seem mm-hmm. like a tree on, but some of these trees are just enormous. Mm-hmm. And you just look at this woods, and you stop and listen. And unless there's another cat a party of dogs somewhere mm-hmm. off in the distance you don't hear any highway noise you don't hear any jet planes you don't hear you know house dogs barking none of that and that's that's what and then of course the getting together you know of sitting around after the hunt's over and and hearing the stories we usually split up you know but being five of us it's kind of hard to hunt five dogs together and then there's a couple of local hunters here john stortz and his son bubba and they go with us and different ones and and so you can't hunt all together but uh getting to hear the stories when everybody comes back in is always a good part of it. what do you like about coming over here randy
3: nah it's uh just a big open woods and like you say it's uh no yard dog barking nowhere and just beautiful woods over here and uh and and just the people I like I like we got a good group. And, we do, and, and uh,
1: absolutely, we cooked a pretty good breakfast this morning, didn't we? Oh yeah, well, we
3: eat good over here. I can <laughs> promise you that.
2: Hey, my bride told me she said, "Don't you come back where you can't button your pants now." <laughs> you quit eating so much over there. Well,
1: we we do eat well. That's for sure, and uh, and the wives that contribute and and to that. And this, where we're staying now, has got a big kitchen, so we can kind of all get in there, you know, and contribute a little bit. And, but it's just a great time, and I, I hope that uh, it's been 12 years now for me. I hope there's 12 more.
2: Yeah, if I uh, live that long, as long as yeah. I'm able to go, I'm going to come over here. Sure, yeah. One thing that I miss over here and don't really miss it at home, there's so many people moving out of Birmingham wanting to buy four or five acres, three acres, and build a house. But now the bottom, the creek bottom is behind their house, and they always turning them porch lights on hot air. What are you doing down there? I miss that over here because that's home. (laughs) Everywhere I hunt, there's somebody building a new house. Yeah.
0: So you're saying where you hunt now, you have to go get your dog with your light out because you can see in the man's window with him watching TV. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And then I'd holler, I'm going to get my dog and get out of (laughs) here. Been there. Oh,
2: boy. And the place where I hunt now, my lifetime coon hunting buddy, Ronnie Wortham, has got 60 acres down there, and he was in the woods by himself. And I've hunted there for years. And now all that land around him is sold this last year. Yeah. And they're clearing it up. They built a dam in there, going to put a lake and sell house, lots around it. Yeah. And I'm going to have to quit hunting down there. Well, it's universal. When
1: I went to Florida in the 60s, nothing but orange groves and cattle ranches in central Florida, far as you could see. Now, nothing but condos, shopping centers, apartment buildings single family homes, one area right there in range country, five thousand new homes, nine hundred people a day moved to Florida a day, so you know to come to still have a place like this, and I don't believe i, I should have done my research, I don't remember who it was that designated the White River as a refuge, but there's a hundred and sixty thousand acres here. And what I've noticed in the last two or three years, I don't believe there's nearly the hunting pressure here that
2: there used to be in the early years when I came. I don't to. think it is either. Well, you know, at first when I started coming over here years ago, part of the land we hunt on now, we used to belong to a place called, a, a timber company called Potlash. Now, that now all of that has been bought, I guess, by the government, and then it's all White River right.
1: Refuge now. right. For those of you who may have never been to the White River National Wildlife Refuge, it is your land. It's public land. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to us. We're very fortunate to have our group here that we come every year, but this is public land. I saw a guy with a t-shirt one time. It said public landowner, you know, and that's what it is. And it's here for everybody. If you've never been to the White River and you want to experience it, there's some basics. You need, you know, you need to get a license. You have to get an Arkansas small game license. They have a five-day license, but we usually stay longer. We stay usually a full week, maybe seven nights. And so we buy the non-resident small li- uh, game license for $110, and it's good all the way up until June, I believe it, it is. Yeah. Uh, so... So you know you could make if you lived in in driving range you could probably make several trips. But the idea is that it's just open at certain times and it's a narrow window. I think this year it opened on November 18th. I'm I'm thinking, and and then the the north unit is opens early and then portions of it continues all the way to the end of January I believe it is, and then there's a south unit which is actually more land area than the North unit, but it's only open for two weeks, December 1st to the 15th. So we're going to be, uh, what's that? uh,
0: Permit. Don't forget to mention the permit.
1: There is now in the last two or three years. It used to be you just carried a little brochure with you in your pocket that had all the rules, and there are rules. And you need to get on the Dale bumpers, national wildlife refuge site that arkansas puts up and it'll give you all the rules you can see the maps the basics to know is this you can drive your vehicle on all the gravel roads your truck your pickup truck and you can pull off the side and cast your dog just like you would in a farm lot in ohio but uh you uh, you cannot drive your ATVs on those gravel roads. There are designated trails uh, everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of four-wheeler trails, and that's one of the things that I enjoyed from the earliest days coming over here. Because living in Michigan, and all, I had no reason to drive a uh, uh, ATV to go coon hunting. i pull in a farmer's barn lot and cast my dogs toward the woods. I didn't, you know, it, it, but Riding ATVs is a big part of the White River experience. Uh the trails are there, they get washed out. You need a winch, I would recommend you have a winch and a four wheel drive vehicle, uh uh an ATV. Some of the trails are a little narrow, so you might want to consider getting some of the the more, you know, the narrower type type vehicles. But anyway, it's just a great place to come. Uh it's open every year. Uh, To the public, provided you have the proper licenses and the permits. Anything I've missed on that, guys?
2: Just don't let your walking stick stick out of the side side. (laughs) beside.
3: Your your permit is twenty bucks. Yeah,
1: yeah, twenty dollars. You have to pay now to get that permit. Have to get it online. Yeah, you have to get that online through that Dale Bumpers National Wildlife Refuge site, and you get. What I do is I just have mine, you know, I I buy everything online, print it out at the house, fold it up and put it in my wallet. Uh, and uh, just be legal, take care of it. It belongs to everybody. And I, I think, you know, the one thing you don't see here, you don't see trash laying around. You don't see a lot of uh, junk in the refuge, you know, dumping sites and all that. I mean, it's well taken care of but it's just a big wilderness is what it is
0: the only thing i will add to that steve is this if you got something that's for free that's enjoyable like this take care of it don't abuse it or you will lose it
1: absolutely fellas i think that's a great place for us to end this thing today i want to Appreciate you. Thank you all for taking the time. I mean, I kind of rushed you after breakfast to so get this in because we usually have a group of guys that come through during the week to visit with us, and that's all part of the experience. And I think they're gonna. Some of the North Carolina boys are supposed to be by today, so want to kind of wrap this thing up. Anything that we've missed that you think we should have should have talked mm, about?
2: I think we've pretty much covered it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to think our uh good friends at du hunting supply uh buddy woodbury and jason Dooby and all of the crew there at w supply such a great folks to work with uh, they make this podcast possible they create the platform that that we're able to come out to you each week so we want to thank them if you need anything in the line of hound hunting supplies and especially uh, the electronics end of things like your garments and collars and and handhelds and all of that and great customer service along with it. Those folks at DU Hunting Supply are really great folks to work for and we appreciate them. Well Nubbin and Morris and Randy I want to thank you for your time this morning and we've got about four more nights to hunt I think before our week will We'll go by. It always goes by pretty quickly, and maybe we'll do another one of these toward the end of the week, kind of do a wrap up of the thing. But thank you for your time, folks out there. If anybody asks you where is Steve Fielder, you tell him he's gone to the dog.